I love a good mystery, and so does everyone else. In fact, everyone loves a good family mystery, especially one with as many twists and turns as June's Journey. I know that our listeners will absolutely love this game because you are uncovering the mystery of June's sister's murder, and you're becoming a detective. You're looking for clues, and each scene will lead you to a new thrilling storyline. This is a great way to engage your observation skills to uncover key pieces of information that lead you on to many chapters of mystery, danger, and romance. Right now, I'm in the process of interviewing family members, and this is bringing me back, just so you know, to my days in law enforcement, and I'm having such a blast with it because it is so much more lighthearted, but it also has the mystery of where will this take me? You can even chat and play with or against other players by joining a detective club. You'll even get the chance to play in a detective league to put your skills to the test. Megan, I think we should join a detective club together. We've got this. (laughs) Can you crack the case? Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. June needs your help, detective. Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. This podcast may contain content that is graphic and disturbing in nature. Listener discretion is advised. A young woman goes out one night to meet her boyfriend at a bar where they reportedly had a fun evening, but she never returns home again. The boyfriend would usually be the first suspect, but the police discover that he was also missing, with no sign of either one of them after they left the bar that evening. Did this young couple simply take off somewhere? Were they in an accident? Or was this something much more sinister? This is the Danielle Imbo story. Hey, Amy, happy holidays. Merry Christmas. <laughs> Sorry. Merry I am feeling Yay. it this year. I'm feeling the festive spirit this year and enjoying the winter break. How was Thanksgiving? It was great. And then we had Hanukkah. Oh, that's right. This pretty much two days later. Oh. But now You're we're done, done with all your holiday stuff. Yes. And I'm like in the midst of all my we shopping are. and everything. Okay. <laughs> Glad you guys yeah. had a nice holiday. Hope you and the kids and Alan had fun. Thank you. Today's case was suggested by Dr. Hamill, our forensic pathologist who worked on Direct Appeal Season 2. This is essentially, just so you know, her John Binet case. What I mean is this is the one that she really wants to solve. And it really is a mystery. So I can see exactly why, because once she told me about this, I fell down the rabbit hole. And that is why I'm covering it today. I'm looking forward to joining you there. This is perplexing. And I'm looking forward to your theories, thoughts, suggestions by you, by our listeners. And at the end of this episode, if anyone has a tip, that would also be fantastic. So please write us in. Before we discuss the case in detail, we'd like to take a moment to thank our patrons and other supporters. We sure do. We've been getting a lot of love lately. All right. We have Carly from Colorado Springs. We love Colorado. Yep. Um, we also have Jennifer Hudson. Now, she meant to tell me she is not the Jennifer Hudson, but you know what? I think she's the Jennifer Hudson. It might be so. the Jennifer Hudson. Is right? it you? And the, co- <laughs> and the coolest thing is, is her daughter introduced her to the show. 
And she's gifting her daughter the T-shirt that we give our patrons. Get so out. That's, that's so cool. cool. Yeah. Oh, thank you, Jennifer Hudson. Even if it's not yes. the Jennifer Hudson that, you know, is famous. <laughs> You're famous to us. Yes, you are. We also have Lisa Cole, Erica Delco, and Amy from England, who also has two cats who listen with her. Oh, that's so cute. <laughs> yes. Megan, you have a few more, right? Yes. We also have Janelle, Caitlin, and Nicole. Thank you all so much. We hope you enjoy the extra patron episodes, and we hope that you'll join us for our next AMA, which is coming up soon, right, Amy? Yep, we'll be having it next week. We have an AMA coming up on December 18th, 5 p.m. Eastern Time. So come say hello, talk crime, bring your wine or other, you know, mocktail, coffee, whatever you want, and come hang out with us. Yes, and we hope you all have a wonderful holiday, and we just want to Again, thank all of our listeners for the support. We really appreciate everything, all the love that you give us through email, through reviews. We really appreciate you all. Thank you so much. Now let's continue with today's case. Danielle Imba was 34 years old when she vanished, living in a suburb in Philadelphia with her son, Joe. Danielle came from a very close-knit family, very close with her brother, John, and both of her parents, though her father unfortunately had passed in 1999. Danielle loved to sing and perform, and she did so at events. She was in a band. Um, she was, you know, performing at venues. Her brother said that she was a wonderful performer who enjoyed it so much. Danielle married Joe Imbo in 2001, though, and Joe reportedly didn't want her to stay in the band because it meant that they couldn't spend the weekends together. So sadly, she stopped performing. Two years later, they had a little boy named Joe Jr., but the relationship with Joe didn't last much longer. They separated after Joe admitted to having an affair with another woman, and he told Danielle that he wanted to be with the other woman. Mm. Yeah, I think this was kind of devastating, but Danielle got a job as a mortgage processor, and her boss allowed her to work from home so she could care for her child. She didn't go back to her band? Um, I mean, who knows? Maybe she did actually go back you know, and, and performed, but I don't think that became a regular feature of her life. One of Danielle's close friends, Christine Patrone, had a brother named Richard Patrone. Now, Danielle had known him from childhood, but when Danielle and Richard reconnected as adults, it felt different. They weren't kids anymore, and they actually had a spark. And so they began oh, dating. Cute. Yeah. Richard was born in Philadelphia and worked for his parents as a baker at their family-owned bakery located in Philadelphia. He also had a daughter from a previous relationship named Angela, with whom he was very close. She lived with him on the weekdays until she was about 14 years old, and then she went to live with her mom. But he was a very involved parent, and they, were, they shared a very, very close relationship that you know went on. Richard loved music as well as Danielle and shared this passion with his daughter, as she reported. And Angela just adored her father, which was clear from the interviews I've seen with her. Though things were going well, about six months into their relationship, Danielle reportedly wanted a little time to herself to take care of her son and to finalize her divorce. Joe had tried to get Danielle back, realizing the mistake he made, and so he asked her to, you know, rethink the marriage, but she actually refused and she planned to go through th with the divorce. But she also felt, I think, around that time that she just needed to take a little space, settle the divorce, and then see what it was like. So she and Richard separated for, you know, maybe a period over a month. The night of February 19th, 2005 was really their first time reuniting and spending time together. How long were they together? They dated for about six months. Oh, so that was like not that long. Yeah, okay. about six cool. months yeah. and then split for about yeah. a month. And again, I, I really think it wasn't about him. I think it was about yeah. her wanting to, you know, resolve their, her marriage. and It's not you, it's me. Kind of thing. 
So on the evening of February 19th, 2005, as I said, it's the first time they've seen each other in a while. Danielle and Richard met some of Richard's friends at a popular bar called Abilene's on South Street in Philadelphia to watch some live music. And according to Richard's friends, they had a great night. Everything was normal. Richard and Danielle were both happy, but they decided to call it a night around 1145 because they both had their kids the next day. Makes sense to me. Amy, when would you have called it a night if you had your kids the next day? 645. (laughs) (laughs) Right after happy hour. Okay. Um, This wasn't a planned night out, though. Uh, Richard had had originally invited his sister, and she said she couldn't make it, but she was having dinner earlier that night with Danielle. And last minute, basically, he said, well, Danielle, do you want to come? And Danielle said she would meet him. So it was not a planned thing, and I just want you to keep that Mm -hmm. in mind. I want the audience to keep that in mind as well. On the way out, Richard told his friend Anthony that he was grateful that they had a very close parking spot because it was a very cold night, reportedly like 26 or 27 degrees. So they drove there together? They did, yes. And Richard was driving a black 2001 Dodge Dakota truck, which will come up again later in this story. The next morning, Danielle's brother John came to her house to help her with some home repairs, but was surprised to find Danielle wasn't there. But nobody was worried immediately because they knew Danielle had been out with Richard the night before. And so perhaps she stayed at his house. You know, were they planning on each going to their own respective houses? They were. Okay. Um, but but they just thought, who knows, yeah. maybe there's a change of plans. Mm-hmm. And maybe, you know, she just didn't feel well enough. Yeah. He didn't want to drive. Um, but Danielle missed her hair appointment at 11, which at this point started to concern Danielle's family. And as a woman, I think I can understand <laughs> that because we don't miss our hair yeah. appointments, right? <laughs> Richard was also not answering his phone, and his mother was growing concerned because they talked on the phone a few times a day. As she described, they were, quote, a tight Italian family, but they also worked together. So there was a need to speak on a regular basis. Richard's aunt stopped by his apartment, but it didn't seem that he was home. And eventually the two families began communicating, realizing that both of their children were missing, Mm -hmm. and they were definitely growing concerned. And this became absolutely clear when Danielle was not home for her son, Joe's return. He had spent the evening prior with his father, which is why Danielle was able to have the night out. And her family knew that there's no way she's going to miss the arrival of her child home. Her family stayed at her house, though, and they took Joe Jr., not telling his father initially that they were worried about Danielle being missing. I'm not sure if they didn't want to alert him or you know, if it was nothing, they didn't want him to get upset. So they didn't tell him right away. Danielle's brother did call the police that day, though, and reported her missing, and Richard's family did the same. Then Danielle's brother, John, and Richard's father got in the car together and started looking for them. They went to several police stations. When they didn't get any information, they went looking in Philly for Richard's truck. And then they began looking at bridges along the way to Danielle's house that crossed the Delaware River because that was the route home. But they didn't find anything. Meanwhile, the rest of the family and friends mobilized very quickly with search parties, as did the Philadelphia police and the New Jersey police. After that evening, after they left the bar, they were just ghosts. They could find no activity on phones, computers, credit cards, bank activity. No eyewitnesses. Did anyone see them get in the car together? They saw them leave the bar but not get in the car. So there were no uh, outdoor cameras or anything that captured the parking lot. They couldn't find any witnesses who saw the couple Mm -hmm. after they left the bar and the surveillance didn't capture the couple. There might not have been a a ton of surveillance right outside the bar. And what happened was that there's surveillance cameras on some of the bridges, but they only face the cars incoming. Mm -hmm. The the cameras are not capturing like the outgoing. So it doesn't mean that they didn't 
cross one of those yeah. bridges, but the cameras would have only caught them from one side. So uh, they even checked those cameras to see their They own did, yeah. Yep. Um, they were looking for any surveillance that would have found these two, and there was no surveillance whatsoever. Did they have cell phones? Yes, there was no cell phone activity. It was just turned off their cell phones? Like you would think they'd be able to see where the cell phones are. They weren't able to, no. no. I don't know why, but they weren't. There was no activity and no movement after that. The last place they could actually be traced to was right at Abilene, hmm. or Abilene's. I know this is really odd to me as well. The police went to see Richard's friend Anthony and his wife because they were the last people with Danielle and Richard at the bar. Anthony told them that they didn't know anything more than we had a great night. Richard and Danielle were just really happy when they left. Everything was perfect. They couldn't Mm -hmm. think of anything that went wrong. You know, were they having a fight or, you know what I mean? Did something happen? But according to his friend Anthony, everything was totally fine that evening. The case was highly publicized over the next several days and weeks. And the family's very vocal, pleading with anyone to come forward with any information. After several weeks, the police were beginning to focus on finding the couple's truck. Because stolen cars had become a very lucrative industry in Philly at the time, with chop shops being used to strip the parts and sell them illegally. Mm -hmm. The car would also become the focus because the families got a tip that somewhere along the route Danielle and Richard might have taken home, there was a broken gate. And this was along the river. Oh, meaning like a car could have driven through it? Exactly. So now they started to think that, yeah, perhaps the car went off the road and the two drowned. So they get divers out there uh, in that area and covering a big area. But they didn't find Richard's truck. The FBI got involved as well. And as the weeks and months began to pass, the families grew very frustrated, but not only with the investigation, with each other. They start pointing fingers at each other's kid. That's exactly what happened. Okay, so both families wonder if was it the other one? And I mean, it's a sad reality. Like a murder-suicide or something? No, they both wondered if it wasn't the other one's involvement in some activity that led to this. Oh, gotcha. So Danielle's brother, John, began to look into Richard's background because he didn't know him all that well, even though I know Danielle was friends with his Mm -hmm. sister. He didn't know Richard and he didn't know him as an adult. And he wondered, you know, if maybe he had some prior bad associations or Mm -hmm. there was a rumor. And I know it was just a rumor that perhaps he had some gambling debts So he was just trying to figure out what was going on with this guy. But unfortunately, when Richard's family got wind of this, they were very angered. And they began to wonder if it wasn't Danielle's relationship with her ex-husband, Joe, that was the problem. As it turns out, Joe Imbo had called Richard several times because he was not happy that Richard was dating Danielle and he warned him to back off. The calls apparently stopped at some point before the couple went missing, but Imbo even admitted to making these calls. But remember that Danielle had also stopped seeing Richard for well over a month before she disappeared. And why would he harm Danielle and not just Richard? Someone harmed both of these people, clearly. Well, they're both missing. Let's put it that way. So why would... Yeah. What, what do you mean? Why would he harm... When you say, why would he harm Danielle and not Richard? Rich, they're both missing. No, I'm saying, why would he... Like, if he wanted Danielle back, you would think he would just get rid of Richard. Oh, right. And, okay. You know, and, yes. and Danielle would turn up. Yes, I would absolutely think that. And also, he didn't know they were going to be together this night if it was a last-minute thing. And he was with the son. It was more than that. It turns out that Joe Imbo was at a family event with the son and with loads of other people who would vouch for him the night Danielle and Richard vanished. And yeah, I mean, the event was about 50 miles away, so he had a pretty solid alibi. Unfortunately, though, the damage was done to Richard and Danielle's families and their relationship was completely tarnished. They stopped talking to each other and cooperating together, which is the really 
sad side outcome of the story because they had a really good relationship. You know, b- before that, they knew somewhat knew each other, some of them, and this was just an unfortunate side consequence of growing frustrated and needing to, we've talked about this before, but you want to figure out what happened. So there's got to be a reason. So who is it? And maybe not believing that their child could have anything to do with it and not having found anyone from the accident or in the river. I mean, nevertheless, the families, albeit separately, worked hard to keep searching for both Danielle and Richard. And it was Danielle's brother, John, who received a tip, a call at one point that Danielle was, get this, under the Walt Whitman Bridge in a boxcar. And he better come get her before she died. What? This is a very weird tip, and it came directly to him, but I don't think they could trace it. He didn't know what to make of this call, but he knew, he said, I was going right out there to check it out. You know, I've been trying to find Danielle, and she's my sister. And what he actually thought was that Danielle's body was going to be there, and this was the tip. He described getting out there, and he he also— He went by himself? went by himself. I would never. No, I wouldn't do that either. He described getting to a a closed boxcar and being afraid, like one of the ones that when he opened it, Danielle was going to be there. That was not the case. The police found out about this and they were not happy that John put himself at risk. But again, John said, I don't care. It was my sister. I would have done anything and I had to see for myself. This also had me thinking though, Amy, about the kind of people that phone in these false tips. Is it a joke? Is it a need for attention? Why are people phoning in false tips? Well, is it possible it wasn't a false tip and her body wasn't there and it had been removed? Or at one point it wasn't there? Who knows? They they said you better come get her before she dies. It seemed like a fake. And the police, of course, followed it up and investigated. But so why why do people phone in false tips? Like I was sitting there thinking about that and I'm still... Like, what kind of cruelty is that? Or is that you're just so bored? They want to be inserted into the investigation. Okay, so these the people who feel the need to be some way involved as well? I think so. I don't know. It made me also think that that I'd like to see more of these people prosecuted for these actions. I think if you phone in a false tip and it's substantiated, I think you should be prosecuted for obstruction of justice. Aren't they sometimes? I think so, yeah. But not enough, you're saying. It's not taken seriously enough. I don't know that it is. I don't is. think it's always traceable. That's why. It, that's definitely true. But yeah, I was just, I was upset when I heard that because I can't imagine the pain that he went through and then to get there and find that and somebody did that. Well, think about cases like John Bonet, speaking of, or like any oh. of these high profile cases, how many false leads there are in those. Like Natalie Holloway. Right, yeah, no, there are. I know, it's just heartbreaking and it's hard for the families okay the police and the families conducted searches for months but six months in they held a vigil outside of abilene's for richard and danielle disappointed not to have any answers about what happened to their loved ones and i think in hopes of eliciting a tip or some type of information from someone who might be there or might have seen the vigil unfortunately that didn't happen and after another three years went by without any further information there was finally a break in the case and a possible new lead. Divers found a black Dakota pickup truck in an area where Danielle and Richard definitely could have been driving home that last night they were seen. This was a really promising lead, of course. The families had, you know, I'm sure had mixed feelings about it because, yes, it's a truck, but if it's a truck in the river, that means that their loved ones And it was confirmed that it was his car? It was Richard's, his truck, the make and the model, and everyone was hopeful But much to everyone's surprise, the license plate and VIN number did not match Richard's truck. What a disappointment, right? What a coincidence. What a coincidence. 
I mean, it turns out, actually, when I researched this, I couldn't believe how many trucks and cars they found at the bottom of the river. There's probably a lot of missing people oh my God. based on this information. Um, unfortunately, what that meant for the family was that the case was cold again. No new leads. That was, that was a huge letdown, I think. After that point, I can tell you that there really haven't been many significant tips, but the FBI cold case team is investigating this. And they stated that they believe the crime was a murder for hire. They said this on the 10-year anniversary of Richard and Danielle's disappearance, and they said that they believe multiple offenders were involved. Who was the intended target? Which one of them? They didn't say, and they didn't say who. They were very vague. Let's put it this way. This was news, but they didn't say why they made this statement, and I don't know if they had actual solid leads or if they're trying to scare people, like rattle some trees. That's... I I don't know. Do they do that often? It just seems like that's like such a specific. It was so specific. No, I mean. Like if you're going to say it's murder for hire, how could you not at least know who the intended target was? Well, they know they're just not saying, I guess. It's weird. I don't know. It seemed very, it, it seems strange to me. It seems strange because they also said multiple offenders. I guess maybe they're thinking that possibly there are and that, you know, maybe someone. Yeah, that's the only thing. It was odd though. It was an odd statement. But There are, just so you know, and this is what I want to cover now, there are a number of theories that have been suggested in this case. So I want to go through them with you in the audience, and I want you to tell me what you think, and I'll tell you what I think. All right, let's start with theory number one. It's plausible that Danielle and Richard, maybe having had a few drinks or perhaps due to the slick roads from the cold, accidentally drove off the road and into the river. They obviously couldn't search the entire river. Like I said, it was about a 25-mile drive. Um, They've searched a lot, but they can't, I don't think they were able to cover all the territory. So I think that this is plausible. Even though there's no signs, there were, they were looking for the signs, you know, when a car goes off the road, especially if there's railing, they're looking for skid marks, like that was that broken gate, evidence that like trees or or shrubs have been run over. It's possible they took a different route and they didn't. Exactly. And so that was one of the counter arguments. Yeah, there was this route that we think they would have taken, but maybe they didn't take that route. And isn't it also possible, um, and this was something that Marianne brought up with me, uh, isn't it possible that they said they were leaving and going home, but maybe they just want to have a little alone time and they went somewhere else? Yeah. Like, we don't, we don't know if they went they somewhere. They could have went to grab food. Or they could have went to a completely, make out point. Yeah. What are those things called? It was funny because someone had suggested that, but I'm thinking, well, it was 25 degrees <laughs> out and they have their own houses, so they probably didn't do that. But yeah. it's possible they went to another bar that no one knows of, yeah. took a different route home, stopped for food. We don't know. It's just speculation about which route they went home. Okay, so that's theory number one, and I think that's a plausible theory. A second theory is that they were victims of a carjacking gone wrong, targeted again in a very high volume area for car thefts and chop shops, and that they were accosted basically when they were getting in their car. Was it a highly populated area? I've been to Philly, but I don't, I I mean, downtown Philly on a weekend, it was a weekend? Yeah, I mean, I think there were enough people there. It's cold, so it's not like people are hanging out on the streets, but I think the population And it wasn't that late, right? 11.45, no, the bars weren't closed yet. Yeah. I don't necessarily think this was the case but i can see the merit i think back to um shannon yes shannon christian and chris newsome i I was thinking of that this whole time okay you were yeah because you have a male and a female obviously we know what happened in that case unfortunately that's why when you said maybe they went off the bridge in a car accident i'm like i actually would prefer that 
let it be just like a quick death as opposed to these poor people in, you know, that case. Yeah. Tortured. If people don't remember that episode, or if you didn't listen, they were supposedly targeted for a carjacking as well. Um, though we're never sure that that was the motive, but they were certainly, they endured awful, horrific acts. Mm-hmm. So it's possible, but are those people really willing to steal car? People who steal cars, they don't kill people. Well, they did in Shannon and... They did. I just meant if you were part of this chop shop industry, yeah. those aren't killers. Not normally. No. And those people who killed Shannon Christian and Chris Newsom were not carjackers. They were just, you know, mm-hmm. uh, that just happened to be a carjacking. Unless it was a carjacking gone wrong. So that's the suggestion here that um, they also said like Richard's truck was okay, but it wasn't that nice. It wouldn't have been like maybe targeted for the parts, but they said maybe it was easy enough because it was close and maybe... Um, what happened is that Daniel and Richard like interrupted the carjacking and one of them resisted. And was that's he a big were... guy or what was he like? In yeah, he was about um, he was about f- I'll get to his description okay. in a little bit, but he was about 5'10", I think 200 pounds. Okay. So, you know, not big, but not small. Either. Not like a vulnerable target. No, she was tiny. I know that. But it's possible that one of them resisted both of mm-hmm. them. So this is the second theory. It's a carjacking gone wrong. Again, I see merit in it, but I think it's because I'm influenced by the yeah. Newsom case and you know the Shannon Christian case. But I don't know if this is what I would call the strongest explanation. A third theory is that Danielle and Richard accidentally stumbled upon something they shouldn't have seen and had to be vanished. Where so was their car? I'm sorry, Megan. Where was their car parked? Was it in a parking lot or on the street? It was on the street. It was. Okay. Yeah. But it was close. Like he said, I got a close parking spot. Yeah. Okay. I mean, that doesn't mean that street was, I don't know how I'm just, yeah, I was just busy the street was or whatnot, but isn't it possible that they also got in the car, made a stop and yes. possibly stumbled upon something and then something they shouldn't have seen. And then someone felt the mm-hmm. need that they had to be yeah. killed. Mm-hmm. This is a possibility. I mean, again, this is kind of out there. You know, yes, that's possible when you can't like sort of rule, you know, in anything else, I suppose. So we can keep that as a possibility also. A fourth theory, and one that I don't think has merit, but that was posited, was that perhaps the couple wanting to start a new life together. No, they had kids. You you gotta let me finish. Sorry. All right. Took off together somewhere, just back together and wanting a new life. They simply drove their truck off to somewhere unknown. Um, And yes, this is not plausible in my opinion. They both had children. They both had very strong family ties. They were both very reliable The FBI looked into their activities, too, and couldn't find any monetary transactions of any type. I'm Um, sure the family is holding on to hope for that. I don't think so. No. To be honest, I I don't think they are. And, God, we used to hear this all the time. Remember when we talked about the cases where, like, you know, women would disappear in the 70s and 80s and and police officers Mm -hmm. would be like, oh, she just probably went to start a new life. Yeah. And you're like, but without her wallet, her purse, um, there's no, you know, credit card, no bank activity, no cell phone or not then cell phone. But how is that that there's no activity for 20 years if someone wanted to start their life again? Not to mention this wasn't a planned meetup. I guess it could have been, but it sounds like a lot of accounts, a lot of people back up the account that this was more of a spontaneous hangout. It was. But right. That, so if they were going to run away together, it would be like more planned, you would think. I don't know. Yeah. The authorities also looked into their backgrounds and there was no indication that either had a troubled past or criminal history. Like there's no red flags that these people would suddenly have to get, you know, would suddenly have to leave. It seemed like by all accounts, they were two, you know, quote, normal, 
loved people with strong social bonds. And so that's the other part. What I was saying here is, you know, social bond theory, I think, would explain why they weren't leaving. They had strong social bonds to the community, their families, and to businesses. So I think we can just throw that theory out. Okay. The fifth theory is that the couple or one of them was the target of a murder-for-hire plot in which they were followed and murdered by experts in the field, so to speak. In a carefully planned murder where the bodies were disposed of by someone who knew where and how to do this and how to also make the car disappear, likely in a chop shop. So who would do this? Okay. There was initially a rumored suspect in prison by the name of Robert Carey. He was the head of a prescription drug pill ring. And the hired hand, he was basically a hired hand for this organization. And he had written a suicide note mentioning Danielle and Richard. So people were like, whoa. But this turned out to be a rumor. So that lead kind of quickly disappeared. This one was a little more promising. Um, convicted of killing two people during a robbery, Anthony Rodeski was also a possible suspect involved in other robbery murders. And authorities thought that there was going to be a link. They actually got a search warrant for his house belongings and they searched everything they searched his car his house high and low but they couldn't find anything to link him to the crime which doesn't mean that he wasn't involved but they why did they initially think he wasn't because he was involved in similar crimes in the area in the, yeah, yeah time? local okay. similar you know similar mo and whatnot um but again couldn't find anything to link him i also suspect the authorities believe Joe Imbo was involved, but they can't say that he's a suspect because his alibi was substantiated by a lot of people. Though it's been suggested that it's possible the alibi was uh, substantiated because he had a lot of people who were loyal to him. There were a lot of police officers and other people, and perhaps they're covering for him. Yeah, I don't think Joe Imbo could personally be responsible. And I, I think that they couldn't, law enforcement could not establish any connections. And again, Danielle and Richard made these plans last minute. And they didn't have a tumultuous relationship as far as it sounded. Well, they kind of did, actually. Did. Yeah, okay. because remember, he wanted her back and she didn't want him back. But there's no history of domestic abuse. Or not that I know whatever. of, but he was making nasty calls oh, yeah. to Richard. So they did have that. And I do think there were, you know, issues that they were trying to work out. So there was somewhat of, you know, there was some conflict. Let's put it that way. So you don't think that's a reasonable theory then? I wouldn't put it up there. My top theories. Nope. I recently saw an interview, though, where Agent Rossetti from the FBI, uh, long on this case, said he can't rule out Imbo as a suspect, but he didn't name his, him as a suspect either. Okay. I mean, I think they always say that you can't rule someone out. No. Um, before I get to where that leaves us now, Amy, based on what you've heard, are, are any one of these theories to you more plausible than the others? Because I know which one I think, but... I would like to think the car accident theory. But I'm thinking more along the lines of the second theory and an explanation being routine activities where there was a motivated offender, they were suitable targets, and there was a lack of a capable guardian. In other words, they were on a street at night. Although it wasn't too late, it was late enough that the street wasn't that populated, cold out, not a lot of people hanging out. These two people um, walking by themselves, usually you wouldn't think that's a suitable target because you have a man and a woman. So usually a woman by herself is seen as more vulnerable. But if there's a group of three men, this is no problem if there's a man and a woman, right? So it was mo a, maybe a group of motivated offenders. They saw an opportunity. Is the opportunity the car or the people? Is this 
Are you going with the, the carjacking or they stumbled upon something they shouldn't have seen? I'm going to say the carjacking. So I don't, I, I really don't know. But if I had to, I guess I would say it was maybe a carjacking and maybe they resisted and yeah. they pissed someone off or maybe someone, maybe they got hurt by accident. It's like, well, now we have to kill them because the other one's going to, you know, I think maybe one of them got hurt and the other one had to be killed as a witness. Right. It does make sense also in that scenario that there would be multiple offenders. Yeah, because how else? Because if it's one offender, it's going to be hard for you to control a man and a woman. Unless you have a gun. I guess, yeah. 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 I mean, there has to be, I think there has to be some reason why the FBI has said that it was, I don't think it was the murder for hire, to be honest, but some reason why they're thinking multiple offenders. I think I would think multiple offenders because if you have multiple victims, then there's not always, like you said, if someone has a firearm, but I think depending on what what the motivation is for the crime, who knows, maybe they sexually assaulted, you know. Yeah, I thought know, the same thing too. You know, it could have been more than just maybe it was a sexual assault, carjacking, robbery gone wrong. Who knows? It absolutely could have been all yeah. of those things. But it's it's so bizarre to think that there'd be no trace, no trace anywhere. Of anything. That's, of I understand anything. that's why the murder for hire comes in because how do you get rid of a car and the bodies and everything. Well, you do have the Delaware River right there. So you getting do. rid of the car. And you can remember, it didn't have to be that you got rid of the car right there. Maybe someone took the car and drove it. Of course. You know, it 50, could be in like California. To, who knows? Exactly. But but they put out the cops were looking for the car. So they would they would have had to dispose of it pretty quickly because the police were looking for the car like yeah. beginning the next yeah. day. So, I mean, maybe they had 24 hours to dispose of it, but they'd have to get rid of it. I mean, pretty they could quickly. have burned it up, right? They could have, but I think there'd be evidence that of a burned up car unless it was somewhere so remote that, yeah. you know, you know, cars who burn up don't usually go undetected, I would yeah. say. Okay, well, I find your theory plausible. My gut theory, my my gut feeling, I was back and forth between it, but I think that they, I think they drove off the bridge. They On do. purpose? No, oh, no, no, okay. no, no, absolutely not. No, I think You it was, think it was an accident? Yeah. I, I was, hope so, for I their sake. I was talking to Marianne about it too, and I was just, you know, tr going back and forth. And yeah, I mean, neither one of the, not, neither of these are great, but right. I, I hope they didn't suffer any victimization. Yeah. I do think that they drove off the bridge somewhere. I think was they, it icy? I know you said it was very cold. Yeah, I think it was icy because, um, you know, when it's that cold, and you know, you have uh, like the the kind of black ice. Yeah. And I think they described the roads as being like somewhat slick. And that wouldn't leave skid marks necessarily. Not necessarily. No. Um, Maybe, I don't know, though, you actually started to convince me that maybe I was wrong and perhaps this was a routine activities theory where, or routine activities explains it where by, you know, they were just at the wrong place. The only, wrong I think if you didn't do Shannon, Christian, and Chris Newsom, I don't know that this would be top of mind for me. Okay. But yeah. when you talk about the case, you have a male and a female in a car and, you know, it just seems so similar. I think I was, I was actually influenced my decision. So I'm between those two options, the one that you picked. And I guess maybe I am just, yeah, again, wishful thinking that they didn't come to any, you know. Either way, it's so horrific to think that people could just vanish like that with out of thin air. You know what the oddity is actually of this one? People do vanish and we know that, yeah. but two people know, vanishing what, yeah. in the car. That's, that's the clincher. Yeah. Cause you're actually missing person A, person B and a car. And a car. Oftentimes when person A goes missing, you may find the person A, not their car. You may find their car. You and might find person, both. Yeah. But in this case, it's it's a mystery and I hope we can solve it. But okay. We as in you and I? I hope you and I no, and Marianne. Um, but so where does that leave us now? Danielle's son, Joe Jr., went to live with his father permanently. 
But he did stay in contact with Danielle's family and reportedly Joe Sr. would send him to see them twice a year. They moved to North Carolina sometime sometime after Daniel vanished, but not right away. But I did see some interview with him, which said he had to leave. He just needed a fresh start. It just wasn't good. Richard's daughter, Angela, got married because she grew up and had her own child. And she went on to run the family bakery, Aww, following in her father's nice. footsteps, saying that she was so proud to do this for her father to honor him and for her grandparents. That's nice. Yeah, I saw a lot of interviews with her. Gosh, I felt bad. She was, you know, really, she described her father so adoringly. Mm. Danielle and Richard's families never spoke again, but continue to look for their missing loved ones. Obviously, the audience is going to look this up. The audience will see the pictures. But I'd like to read a direct description of both Danielle and Richard as described in an article by Medium.com to provide as much information in case anywhere someone can help. So bear with me. I'm just going to read this, okay? Danielle Imbo was 34 years old when she went missing in 2005. She has hazel eyes and dark brown hair, and at the time of her disappearance, she was 5 feet 5 inches tall and weighed 117 pounds. She was last seen wearing blue jeans, a cream sweater, a black jacket, and three silver rings. She was carrying a black purse. She has a gap between her two front teeth and a tattoo of flowers on her lower back. Richard Patrone was 35 years old when he went missing in 2005. He has blue eyes and brown hair, and he usually has a mustache and a goatee. At the time of his disappearance, he was 5 feet 9 inches tall and weighed 200 pounds. He was last seen wearing blue jeans, a polo hoodie, and sneakers. He also wears eyeglasses. He has a tattoo of his daughter's name, Angela, on his left bicep and a tattoo of several clowns on his right bicep. Richard's truck is also missing. It is a black four-door 2001 Dodge Dakota pickup truck with silver accents and a NASCAR number 99 sticker in the rear window, Pennsylvania license plate number YFH-2319. If you have any information about Richard and Danielle, you can contact the FBI Philadelphia Field Office at 215-418-4000, the Philadelphia Police Department at 215-686-3013, or the Citizens Crime Commission tip line, who are offering a $50,000 reward for any information that leads to the whereabouts of Danielle Imbo and Richard Patron at 215-546-8477. Amy, I really hope this is, we've covered a couple mystery cases. Yeah, this is up there with Yeah, mysteries. I'd really like to know what happened. And I'd really like for the families to have some type of closure and information and, you know, maybe be able to forgive the other families, you yeah. know. But before we go, we have a question from Jennifer Hudson. Hello, Are you ready? Jennifer. Yes, go ahead. Do you believe that rehabilitative and restorative justice programs are appropriately used and effective in the United States? And can they be beneficial to both the perpetrators and victims of crimes? I think one of the most important things when we talk about restorative justice is it has to be on the victim's terms. It needs to be victim centered. And if the victim, if it's not on the victim's terms, then it's re-traumatizing and re-victimizing. And I don't I don't think I think once it when it is done correctly, I think it serves everyone really well, both the perpetrator and the victim. I agree with that completely. I think restorative justice actually is wonderful in terms of actually restoring the victim, because people don't realize that just because we're so tough on crime, that doesn't mean we're actually helping a victim to you know get whole again. 
So I think restorative justice programs can be incredibly effective. Um, I know that there's definitely more of a move towards using them now. Um, and so I think you're going to see them become more popular. I hope they will be strong. Um, rehabilitation is different. There are a number of different rehabilitative programs, right? Uh, some are better than others. Rehabilitative programs didn't really work so well um, in the 70s or 80s. Uh, but I think you're definitely seeing a comeback in rehabilitation again. Uh, it's the same. If they're done effectively, if they're done right, they can be very strong. But, you know, it's hard for rehabilitative programs because you have to think of them, you know, it's not just like there's one. There are so many different areas and rehabilitation will be more successful with certain offenders and certain crimes than others. I know that's a little vague, but it's um, it's it's hard to like, you know, talk about that rehabilitation as a, as a whole, if it's going to work or not. We'll see. Mm. I think like one f- form of rehabilitation that's been pretty good right now, or like if you look at drug courts, uh, drug courts are meant to rehabilitate the offender. They have a team supporting this person so that they don't keep using. And I think those courts are showing great signs of success. So that would be like one example, I think, of rehabilitation done well. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much for the question, Jennifer. And thank you for everyone listening and we'll see you next time on women in crime women in crime is written and hosted by megan Sachs and amy schlossberg our producer and editor is james varga music composition is by dessert media if you enjoy the show please remember to subscribe and leave a review you can also support the show while gaining access to ad-free episodes exclusive amas and other bonus content for a small monthly contribution through patreon For more information, visit patreon.com slash women in crime. Sources for today's episode include an episode of Disappeared, articles from medium.com, and an article from Philadelphia Magazine. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.